Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 157 called Lori. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally. And we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah, our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other their best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just, we're inviting you to join the Rally Fam. Yeah, it's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. Hope to see you guys soon. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code ALLY15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code ALLY15, A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, everybody. So today I am talking to the lovely Dr. Lori Johnson, who's a therapist specializing in reproductive health. She's really well-versed in healing from infertility and pregnancy loss, and she's going to tell us her own story today and how she is helping other women as well. So today Lori's going to tell us about all the things, including her six rounds of IVF, a very, very devastating second trimester loss when they had to terminate for medical reasons and so much more. How she met her husband, her incredible motorcycle and what it's called. She's just a very cool dynamic woman and she is out there helping people deal with their infertility and grief. And she's also talking a lot about black maternal fetal medicine and what she's doing to raise awareness with that and hopefully change that. So we talk about the disparities, you know, in health coverage, depending on your race and all of that. So it's very interesting. Lori's awesome. So thank you guys for listening. And without further ado, this is Lori's infertility story. All right. So thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy to talk to you today. Thank you. It's it's great to talk to you too. Absolutely. I love your Instagram. I want to start with that and just say that, so you're a therapist and you specialize in reproductive health, you know, talking a lot about infertility and pregnancy loss and what you've been through and, you know, helping others. But I love your posts because they're so informative and you're very consistent. And like, I know I can always come to your account to find like really good information and 
all that kind of stuff. So tell me, when did you start your Instagram? That's a good question. I probably, you know, I had a professional Instagram, you know, account, maybe about, I started about maybe five years ago, but I didn't really focus it on reproductive health or loss until I had kind of turned a corner personally in, in my journey and decided to focus more on reproductive health and loss in my in my private practice. Because while I was, I had a toe in the infertility and loss world, I didn't feel, you know, fully dive in until after I had kind of processed, you know, the majority of my losses and mm-hmm. felt more kind of open and present to, 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 to hold space for others. And so mm-hmm. I think I kind of made my debut uh, in uh, I think the fall of 2019. Okay. Right. Before, okay. Yeah. A few a few months before the the, pan, the panorama. The panorama. <laughs> that makes it sound fun. <laughs> I know. I'm just. I don't know about everybody else. But I'm just so. You know. I'm so sick of the heaviness around the pan. The, the word pandemic and what yeah. that's done to us. And so I don't want to minimize it, but I feel like I need to bring some levity to. I to love that. that. Let's call it the panorama from now <laughs> the on. The panorama. Sure. Well, speaking of levity, so you did this great post to you recently where you were kind of reintroducing yourself and all these interesting facts. Tell me. Tell everybody. I just read this, but tell everybody how you met your husband. It's so cool. (laughs) Yes. I love telling this story because I met him during my year of yes. And I always say that this was my year of yes before Shonda Rhimes wrote her book about it. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. I was, you know, I had just finished my, I just gotten licensed um, as a marriage and family therapist. I had just finished my PhD all within a few months of each other. And I decided, you know what, I'm sick of being a professional student. It's really time to start living life. So I just started saying, yes to everything. And part of that was I just started, you know, I noticed there were other like motorcycle riders and female riders everywhere I would go. And I, I, you know, ridden on the back of motorcycles before. And so I was just like, you know what, I'm going to take a motorcycle class. And then I started learning how to ride motorcycles. And then and so part of uh, my journey in motorcycle riding was I was part of a group, a riding group. And before I had my license, I was considered a passenger. And so sometimes what would happen is we would look for people to pair up with. So riders would pick, you know, would reach out to passengers or vice versa for a ride. And so my husband saw my picture and reached out and uh, said, hey, do you want to go for a ride? And I'm like, well, you know, yeah, but I need to meet you first because I'm not getting on the back of your 700 pound bike without knowing a little bit more <laughs> right. about you. And and so that was kind of all she wrote. Oh my gosh. And you have a purple motorcycle and so tell everyone what it's called. Yes. So my motorcycle's name is called Purple Rain. And in case you don't know, Brilliant. Um, I'm a huge Prince fan. My favorite color is purple. And so it was only fitting to, to name my, you know, my, my motorcycle uh, after, after Prince. Oh my God. So do you still <laughs> ride? And where are you in New York? No, I'm in live? California. I'm oh, okay. in LA. Oh, that's yes. right. Okay. So, but yeah. you you went to school in New York, right? I went to school in upstate New York. Got yes. you. Okay. I haven't ridden her in a long time because, you know, I've just, it's been, I've lost a little bit of my confidence going through some of the, the, the things that I've gone through in my journey. I still ride with my husband periodically. And, uh, and I do, I did get on her and kind of, you know, rev up her engine from time to time, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, now just having a little one, um, my, my priorities have changed. And so I, I don't ride as much and, uh, you know, and that's hard, but she's still there in the garage, you know, not getting rid of her and I'm still looking at her longingly and 
and you know, right. waiting, waiting for the day when I can take her out again. I um, love it. I love that. <laughs> okay. So fast forwarding a little bit, when did you and your husband who became your husband then start talking about having a family and what happened when you guys started to try? So ironically, when we first met and I knew that we were interested in each other more than just, you know, you know, we were interested in each other romantically and more so than just, you know, hey, we're going to ride as a group. And, and I, you know, had a conversation with him very early on about, you know, whether he was open to having more children. Um, and, you know, I knew I didn't want that off the table for, for me. And I, but I said it in a way where I was like, you know what, I, I we don't know where this is going, but I also, you know, we were older and it's like, you know, I just want to make sure that we're not wasting each other's time. So we had that conversation relatively early about our openness, what that would look like. And we were on the same page uh, about it. And, and so when we decided to get married or closer to the time where we decided to get married and, you know, talking about like if, if there were issues or, you know, like it, we revisited the, the topic, it was like, well, you know, we're, we're okay if it's, if it's just us. Um, and if it happens, it happens. And, and then when it, after we got married, six months after we got married and, you know, I got pregnant the first time it, it did start to happen. And then the losses, that was the first of, you know, of four losses. So mm-hmm. we kind of got swept up into this, this world that we didn't anticipate, you know, um, I think we were both naive and he has children obviously, and had never experienced uh, a pregnancy loss. And here, you know, and I had heard about it and worked with women who had struggled with pregnancy loss, but still never thought that it would be part of my story. Right. And, uh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I had four losses as well um, uh, between my I'm daughter sorry. and my son. My daughter's now 12 and my son is now six and I had him through IVF, but yeah, oh. four, four losses. So I can relate to you on that one, but do you mind if we kind of unpack that a little bit and talk about sure. your losses and like, with the first one, did you feel kind of like, okay, like I know a lot of people who've had miscarriages before, and this is kind of, you know, that was how I felt like I was like, I have a lot yeah. of friends you have, and I feel like it's kind of like a rite of passage in a weird way. Like it didn't mm-hmm. seem that wild to me that it had happened. And I was, my whole thing was that I was, I got pregnant very easily, but I had a hard time staying pregnant. So yes, um, yes. tell me, tell me about your situation, please. Yes. So you know, I it's. I think very. It's very similar to yours in the sense because I did get pregnant relatively easily, and I, I struggle saying that in this community because I know sometimes it's you know it's just the it's it's hard to hear, mm-hmm. and and so I think I was really surprised by how much I was affected by my first pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think I tried to tell myself, you know, okay, you've seen this before. We know the statistics. And you know, so trying to really therapize myself and, you know, and, and you know, in, in a way um, and trying to intellectualize um, what was happening. But it's, you know, there was an element to my pregnancy loss that was really traumatic that I didn't really give myself space to to process initially because I had what was called a missed miscarriage. And so, mm-hmm. so in some ways my body was still registering that it was pregnant, but the baby, you know, wasn't developing. And then on top of it all, I decided to miscarry naturally. And, and so by the time that happened, you know, and, and I was, you know, the process was really traumatic and I, it wasn't what I was expecting. And I think sometimes what they say, is like, oh, it's just going to be like a regular period. And, 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 and it wasn't, it was far from it. And so when I think about what I went through physically, you know, and I can remember where I was and, you know, just the, you know, 
looking at what happened and, and all of that. I don't want to get into a lot of the, the gory details, but I, all I know is I was like, this isn't what the nurses told me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is not what it was like. And, um, and, and so after that, I felt like, you know, it was just this weird kind of experience that I was, you know, processing, you know, alone for, for a bit, because I kept thinking, well, it's really common, you know, this happens. And then I was like, why am I feeling so sad around everybody? And so it was this really disconnected, disjointed experience. Right. I was happening, um, you know, that I was like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, is, this is a loss. That's it. I get to process it that way. Yeah. I think a lot of women go into it not knowing what to expect. And even like you said, without going into the details of it, just like what actually happens to your body. Exactly. You know, and going through it and being like, what is this? Like, what is that? You know, it's totally so, you know, that's why I love that, you know, you're talking about this and that, you know, we can reach out to so many other people in this community now who are open about it because it like normalizes things that, you know, 10 years ago, nobody was talking about or five years ago, even, you know, so. Exactly. Exactly. So how is your husband doing with the losses? He was doing, he's doing, he was doing okay. I mean, the first one, you know, I, I think that was, you know, it was a little bit of a shock and then, you know, we took some time off and, and, and just kind of enjoyed each other's company. And, you know, and, and so I think the second loss was really what stands out for, for the both of us, because, um, for, for your readers who are listeners, excuse me, who may not know, I had, um, a second trimester loss that was, uh, termination for, for medical reasons. Mm-hmm. And so we found out, thank you. And so we, we had found out late in my first trimester, they were late with doing my first trimester screening. And so the blood work came back that there was an issue with the, the baby. And so here I had already rounded the corner in the second trimester. And mm-hmm. instead of breathing a sigh of relief that, you know, that you usually, you know, people do at that stage, you know, it was just wrought with, you know, more doctor's appointments, a you know, conversation with genetic counselor, you know, more diagnostic testing. And, you know, and then unfortunately the, the decision to, to terminate. And, and so that was, I think, more traumatic in a, in a different way, because, not only were we dealing with the loss of the pregnancy and the expectations and the hope of, you know, of what this pregnancy was going to be, but um, we were also dealing with the perceived kind of judgment that, um, you know, some people had about, um, about terminating a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I know that doesn't really get talked about as much. And sometimes because of the certain diagnoses that, you know, some some losses are, you know, our medical losses are okay, but others aren't. And, and, and so it, it really kind of drove, you know, both of us a little bit kind of deeper underground, so mm-hmm. to speak, in terms of who we would talk to about it, the circumstances surrounding it. And when you're not able to talk fully about, you know, the elements of your story, it doesn't help you heal, you know? Right. And, and so I carried a lot of shame around it. I think both of us were very clear that we, we wanted to, we, we knew that we had to make a very heartbreaking choice, but we were okay with shouldering that burden as parents um, because we didn't, you know, we, we weren't given great odds um, and, you know, and, and we just could not put our, our son through any kind of trauma after, after yeah. birth. And so we were yeah. okay with making that decision and still feel good about it, you know, even though, we know that there are people out there that that don't really agree with what we did and and uh, have you know 
been very subtle and sometimes not so subtle about it. Um, and uh, but that that definitely complicates the journey, and I think really you know has informed you know how I how I work. Um, yes, like it's you know it's just so important to you know for people to be able to tell all parts of their story, and uh, you can't yeah. do that if you're carrying around shame and guilt. Absolutely, and you know for anybody who has to go through termination for a medical reason, I'm, I'm, my heart just goes out. I mean, it's such an awful decision to have to make as a parent or an intended parent. And, you know, I'm really sorry that you went through that. And my thought is just people just need to mind their own beeswax. And like, exactly. Yeah, you know, totally. This is your story and this is your body and this is your baby. Okay. And I don't think anybody except your husband and your doctor, you know, has the right to weigh in on it. It's like, exactly. no, no, I, I don't. And, and, and you know what, it's so interesting because, you know, I've always been kind of pro-choice and, you know, and, and I know it's weird to hear kind of pro-choice and pro-life people think that you can't be both, but I never thought that I would be in that situation where I would have mm-hmm. to make that choice. And I always right. thought, you know what, I would never make that choice for myself until it happened to me. Right. Um, and, you know, we were faced with what we were faced with and this is what, you know, his life would look like, you know, and, and it's like that in and of itself felt inhumane. Yeah. So I get yeah, it. I, I, yeah. I so. mean, it's, it's so sad to think that anybody has to go through that but I would have done the same thing. So Mm -hmm. um, how did you guys heal from, from, I mean, you never really fully heal, right? But how did you grieve that? And how did you, you know, continue to go about your day, your days? Cause that's such a loss. It is such a huge loss. And I think the days, you know, right after the termination, which happened on a Monday, because I remember I did go back to work relatively soon after. And I think we, I, I, I again had this, this, uh, you know, part of my coping is to kind of, you know, throw myself more into work and kind of keep busy. And, and I think that my husband did that too. And I think we had this kind of delayed reaction. And I thought that, you know, I, I, I did what I like a lot of other people do. And that's try to get pregnant again, you know, as quickly as possible, thinking, you know, not realizing that, wait a second, you know, my body might have needed a little bit more time. Um, I think at that point, I was also feeling the pressure of my age. And, um, you know, and then at that point, you know, it's like we went, you know, we started doing IVF. And so I don't think I got a chance to, or we had a chance to fully grieve until we went through a year, year and a half of IVF treatments mm-hmm. and su- suffered two more losses. And then it was like, okay, you know what, we really need a break. And, you know, and, and, and in between that, I think part of our outlet aside from, from work was we kind of, you know, threw ourselves into home you know, renovation projects, you know, just trying to make our space beautiful. We were, we were traveling and definitely found an outlet and being, you know, in other cultures and just taking in, you know, things that we didn't normally see and experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and then just continuing to hold space for each other. Um, right. You know, there, you know, he just held me a lot while I cried and, you know, and, and, and we did some therapy and, you yes. know, and then, yeah, and I had to learn that he grieved very differently than, than than I did. And so even though I kind of knew this intellectually and you know would say this to my to my clients, it's like, you know, it, it's always hard to to therapize yourself. You know, you might have all the, the tools, but there's a reason why, you know, we say, you know, you don't treat family members or people close to yourself because you just don't have that sense of perspective. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't have, 
<laughs> and so I didn't have that sense of perspective for myself. And, uh, you know, so that was, yeah, that was, that's so yeah, interesting. Can we talk about making the transition to doing IVF treatments? So was that sure. like a hard decision for you or how did those talks go down at home? And like, were you guys both on the same page? We were on the same page. I, you know, it was hard because, you know, I knew because of my age, I was, you know, I wasn't the best of candidates. I was having, you know, I had a diminished ovarian reserve at this point. And, you know, and I was dealing with that reality coupled with the reality of, well, I've gotten pregnant, you know, each time I, I quote unquote wanted to get pregnant, um, I got pregnant either the, that month or the month after. So I, it was, it was almost like a, a struggle with, you know, like, well, do I really need to do this? And so by that time, you know, I, I just figured, you know what, like, let's just, let's just do it. Let's try to kind of fast track it or speed up the process because I just didn't know how much time I, you know, I had, we or we had left. And uh, so, but I think my, you know, when I was doing it, it was still, you know, I didn't kind of qualify for that. I didn't do well with the full protocol. And so I ended up doing a protocol where it's called a, you know, kind of a minimal stimulation or moderate stimulation kind of protocol, which mm -hmm. takes longer and can be more frustrating. But yeah, I think we, we were on the same, on the same page. It was just, you know, I think when you're, Again, when when you're on the front side of IVF and you think about what it entails, it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to give, some, we're going to do some injections and they're going to make an embryo and then we'll have a baby and right. still this nice, this naivete. Totally. <laughs> I remember like, thinking like, oh, this is like a sure thing. <laughs> yes. And yes. It's so far from that for so many it, people. Can we talk about how, how many like rounds you did and all that? So we ended up doing five rounds, um, or excuse me, six. Um, and the, the first go round, it was it was five, and then we took another break, and then and then did another round, and then that's where we got our our son right right now. But um, yeah. but yeah, it was it was five initially um, before we took before we took a break, uh -huh. and uh, and I needed a break after that because I had two losses from from IVF. Um, uh, or excuse me. So one had you gotten IVF pregnant and then had losses yeah. again. So I had, um, I had one incomplete, one failed cycle, and then I had one chemical pregnancy. Huh. And then after all of that, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And I was like, let's just try naturally. And they ended up doing tests. And ironically, Ali, they showed that I had tubal blockages, like one blockage on the left and then one full blockage and then a half blockage on the right. And they're like, well, you know, if you want to get pregnant, you're going to have to do more IVF. And I was like, I'm not doing it. Ended up getting pregnant, like miraculously two months later. And then that pregnancy ended again. And oh. so it's been a roller coaster. Absolutely. And your body's been through so much and emotionally yeah. too, you know, this is, it's just so, so hard. I know that you've talked a lot about like navigating the trauma and grief of infertility. And I'm glad that we are, you know, it's, it's starting to become more normal to attach the word trauma to it. Um, yes. Cause it is, this is a traumatic experience that people go through. So can you tell me a little bit about when you talk about how to navigate, like what are some of the tools that you would use or some of the things that you can share with people listening who might be going through it right now? Yes. So I know for me, you know, the ways that trauma can show up, uh, it can manifest in terms of how you're eating, how you're sleeping, reactions that you might be having to, you know, to, to other people who um, have families or who are pregnant, 
also another way that I noticed it coming up for, for me and for others is just like even struggling, like going back to the doctor mm-hmm. um, or to that doctor's office. And then just really intrusive thoughts. For some people, it gets really dark and, you know, have just really, you know, these intense thoughts about how, you know, um, what their life, you know, are just feeling really hopeless. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, so I think trauma can be an emotional experience. It can be a very physical experience. And, you know, and I think it really differs, you know, for the person, it's, it's also about how you're experiencing it too. So even though, you know, I, I might experience symptoms one way, I realize that it might show up very differently for somebody else. So they're, you know, and they might not experience it as, as traumatic, but, you know, it, it's, it's just another way of trying to help people language um, mm-hmm. what's going on so that, that you can kind of recognize that the heaviness that you're walking around with or the, the emotional reactions that you're having, the, the tearfulness, you know, that, that you can't necessarily control. It's like mm-hmm. you're, you're, those, those memories are, you know, those reactions are getting stored in your body in a way that, you know, it's letting you know that, it, that something's going on. And so it's like learning how to pay attention to that and, and really working with that. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so part of what I, you know, have done with with my clients is, you know, done a a lot of psychoeducation about what does trauma look like or what can it look like for people, Mm -hmm. but also seeing what have they tried so that we're not like, you know, reinventing the the wheel and thinking about like, what else, what what techniques they've already used that maybe just need a little bit of of tweaking. And, And then what I did was I actually went and got trained in um, a trauma modality um, called EMDR. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I've been utilizing a lot of techniques around building up emotional resources that I think really help uh, kind of blend the whole like mind body connection. I think we've heard so much about, but helping people understand and learn how to self what we call regulate um, and and reprocess. um, Okay. Is EMDR the thing with the eyes? Yes, the eye okay. Can you can we talk about yeah. that a little bit more? I'm fascinated sure. with this. I heard Prince Harry that's talking it. about it. Oh my um, goodness, that's right. Because he, he used did. it, and yes. he's like a big you know proponent of it. So tell me, tell me more about EMDR. So EMDR is basically stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, and it is a trauma approach that works in phases. And it's really focused on honoring the fact that our bodies actually already know how to heal. But what happens is these traumatic events kind of interrupt its natural kind of healing process, mm-hmm. and and so they kind of get stored in these in, in, in ways that are kind of unproductive or not very helpful like and physically or mentally or both both okay okay yes so so what that means is it really helps people kind of you know heal from symptoms or emotional distress that's the result of what you know are perceived as you know these disturbing life experiences and and so what you know, you might see people talk about like moving your eyes or even like tapping. And sometimes people kind of compare EMDR to emotional freedom um, techniques, which also involves tapping. Mm-hmm. But the it's different because we're dealing with what we call memory networks and how those memories kind of link up to create, you know, or try to not necessarily create, how they link up to um, in terms of how we like process. Uh, so what information are we taking in? And then what are we doing with that? And 
we try to kind of work with that or shift that a little bit so that, you know, again, the information gets processed, what we call adaptively, and people can look at the fact that, oh my gosh, I had this really traumatic experience, but they're no longer feeling the same charge with that. You know, they recognize it as, okay, it was a disturbing event, but I don't have to relive it. And that's the difference with with this approach. It's, mm-hmm. It helps people not relive it in a, such a way where they're having to, you know, they're, they're back in the throes of their trauma, they're dysregulated, they're, their breathing is off, or they're having flashbacks, or, you know, they're, they're, they're just triggered all over the place. It's more like, okay, this is really uncomfortable and, you know, really unfortunate. And I'm sad that I had to go through this and I'm okay. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that that's kind of the qualitative difference between, you know, um, like, or we try to shift people to, you know, from one state to, to, to a more kind of regulated kind of positive, you know, space. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I want to know much more, but I need to like do a deep dive and figure out more <laughs> about that. Have you done it yourself? I have, I okay. have, I, I did it around, you know, there was a lot of stuckness I was having around the grief. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I talk a lot about grief in my account because I don't believe you can talk about infertility without talking about grief yep. because it's, the, it's the loss of how you thought you were going to grow your family. And then, you know, on top of that, it's just at every turn, there's a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so and what I think happened for me because of, you know, what happened around my, my termination, you know, that was a lot of like disenfranchised grief. I, I didn't feel, you know, safe to, to talk about the details with everybody for the longest time. And there's some people who probably still think of my loss as a, as a miscarriage and don't know the details about it. And that's directly related to, you know, conversations, judgments, things like that, that happened around the time that, that, that you know, that we lost, you know, our son. Mm-hmm. So that created this, this stuckness for, for me. And also I think what happens too, it's like, if you get to a point where you are, you know, like, well, if I let go of the grief, well, what else will I have, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and can I still honor my, my, my child, you know, if I don't have it. And it's like really learning that you can, you know, that I, I do think that you can, I, you know, I know a lot of people think you can't get over grief and I, and I, I agree with that to, to some degree. I feel like what, you can do is make it a more kind of adaptive experience mm-hmm. so that, so that you're not you know continually overwhelmed by it and you know you recognize the sadness and you honor the sad sad moments and you also kind of honor the strength that goes along with that the strength and the resilience oh and wow i love and that and so that's what i feel like emdr helped me yeah do and and learn that you know I, I don't have to relive the trauma of of saying goodbye to him to still honor him sometimes we kind of refer to emdr as like magic you know yeah. some of the te- with some of the techniques and what i love about it too is that you don't really have to talk a lot about what you experience sometimes we're even just looking at where you know what is your body saying you know mm. like what what sensations are you noticing and and we can we can target that um so it's it's a beautiful good beautiful process that yes. i think our approach that i think can really be helpful right so interesting okay so let's go back to your story so i know that yeah. your rainbow baby did make his debut yes um, july 2021 is that right yes okay. yes july 23rd yes i'm cheating did. i'm looking at your instagram but, um, <laughs> so tell me about how it all went down with him and when you 
was this another IVF round or? Yeah. So okay. this was, a, this was the, you know, we, we had done another round. I, you know, I kind of lost track of the time with the panorama and everything, but I know we did another round. The panorama. We, you know, <laughs> there was another round that was done long before the panorama and we had stored it, you know, but I just couldn't face anything. And then, you know, we were still on this, what I called my, you know, our grief tour, you know, I was just traveling a lot and, and, and that was another way that we were just, you know, just nurturing our relationship. Okay. So yeah. were you riding hoping, bikes? We were not riding bikes. We we're riding bicycles, you know, okay. in the countryside in the countryside of Greece, but no, um, but no, uh, no, motorcycles, no purple rain, <laughs> no purple rain, no purple rain. And so when the, when the panorama hit, you know, it, it really kind of got us thinking, it's like, okay, are you know, this is kind of, this is it. We're, we're either going to do it or we're just, you know, we're not. And, and so we walked into the cycle. We started on the, the panorama hit in March. Um, and I think we started prepping in July and then it was like, you know, and then we tr- had a couple of bumps and, but we transferred him and, in December and it took, and I was just like, Oh, oh I, I was wait, what? Like <laughs> it worked. You know, it worked. Yes. Tell me about um, getting that, that call that, you know, you had a, a good beta or did you test at home? Yes. I, I did not test at home. And it was so funny because I had tested before and my doctor knew I would, you know, I had done before. So, so when I was getting my blood work done and she had walked by and she was looking at me like with a thumbs up kind of, you know, like a tentative fun thumbs up. And I was like, no, you know, I don't think so. I just shrugged and, you know, and I was like, well, we'll just see. And I got the call. Well, we got the call later. And, uh, cause I'm, you know what, I couldn't wait for my husband to listen to it. And, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it worked. My numbers came back really strong and, you know, so that started, you know, and we all, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, anxiety after pregnancy loss. And, yes. you know, I think when you've got anxiety after multiple losses that can kind of stir up a lot of old stuff. So, you know, I was kind of thrown in back into this anxious space again, but it was, you know, it took me a while to find my, my footing, but yeah, it, it worked obviously. And right he's here. Oh my yeah. gosh. So was there ever a point where you were able to relax during that pregnancy with him? Oh, so unfortunately I did not relax much because, yeah. you know, I had some really bad morning sickness. I, I, I wasn't diagnosed with HG. I didn't have it that you know severely, but, um, but yeah, it, but in some ways I relaxed in the sense that I knew my body was doing what it needed to do, but I was so sick that, um, you know, just nauseous all the time, just Uh laying down when I couldn't work, when I wasn't working, it was not enjoyable. And then when I got to the 20 week scan, then come find out that I have another condition (laughs) that we had never known about. And I had an insufficient cervix um, or cervical. And so it already started to dilate. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, So when you Kind of, and, and and the other part that makes this even more troublesome is that you know I was I kind of when we were diagnosed when our son six years ago was diagnosed with a chromosomal issue like mm-hmm. literally that affects like one percent of the population so you're mm-hmm. like okay you're part of that one percent thank mm-hmm. you no thank you and then here again like you know the whole diagnosis of well we, I think we know it by incompetent cervix but we're trying to rename it to cervical insufficiency that affects like one percent or a, a very low percentage so I'm like here I am again falling in this low percentage of you know things that are happening to to people and mm-hmm. so that became another anxious kind of watch um, right. because 
you know, at first they were treating it with just progesterone support because I hadn't made it this far. They didn't, they didn't know if I needed a cerclage or not. And then come find out two weeks later, I needed an emergency cerclage and, and, and those aren't necessarily what doctors like to do. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty harrowing for the second half of my, my pregnancy. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, I, it was hard to really relax. And then the the countdown kind of began in terms of just getting to viability. And then after that, it's like each week it was like, okay, we've got less time in the NICU. And, mm-hmm. you know, we we're just trying to make it as, you know, as far to, you know, as close to 37 weeks as possible, because that was my target, you know, for my scheduled C-section because of previous surgeries that I'd had, they wanted to make sure that I didn't go into labor. And then unfortunately, I still went into early labor and it turns out I had a ruptured uterus at 36 weeks. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, so yeah, that's how, I mean, he, he, he decided to come on his own, but uh-huh. it, was, uh, it was pretty, pretty scary because, uh, you know, yeah, with the, with the rupture and the, the yes. doctors did a great job, but yeah, it was. Tell me, how is he doing now? He's great. He's great. So, you know, we still had to treat him like a, you know, late term preemie, um, mm-hmm. even though he was born, you know, like six pounds. Um, oh gosh, I can't six, almost seven pounds. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's thriving. He's sitting up right now. Well, one thing I want to talk about before we wrap is, you know, that you are very outspoken about, and I think is such an important issue is, you know, statistics about black maternal health. And you had a really good post yeah. about, you know, the disparities in healthcare, racially, economically, can, can you talk about that and the kind of work that you're doing and the awareness that you're raising surrounding that and like what you'd like to change? Yes. Well, it's the, you know, it's, where do I even start? I know that's a big, (laughs) that's a big topic. We could do two hours alone on that. Right. Totally. I I think the part that is so important, I think for people to understand, it's like, even as an educated person, like black woman, that the, the statistics for me are still far different than, you know, my white counterparts, you know, so I am twice as likely or three times as likely to die in childbirth than to, you know, than, than my white counterparts. And so, and, and, you know, and so part of it is, you know, economic part of it is, you know, I think we, you know, a lot of medical bias, more importantly, I feel, you know, I think it's been very important for, for me to, you know, talk about the fact that I had a great medical team that was made up of, of women and also women of color. Um, because I think that diagnostically and how, you know, that, that shifts, you know, how our symptoms are, are viewed and also treated because sometimes we don't necessarily present with symptoms in the same way that, that, you know, our white counterparts are, you know, and I keep saying our white counterparts, because that's Mm -hmm. kind of how we get measured, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, um, and, and so, you know, yeah. So it's like, okay, we're higher, you know, higher instance of cervical issues, higher instance of, um, you know, gestational diabetes, higher instance of hypertension and pregnancy. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and so I think it's like, you know, you have, when you have a team that recognizes, okay, you're at a little bit of a higher risk for this, you know, the, the care is, is it shifts. And so I think for me, what I noticed with my team, that was good that I haven't seen with some other people. It's like, they were very, intentional about follow-up um, and making sure that, you know, it's monitored weekly, that, you know, that, um, you know, we had a kind of a multiple, I had a kind of a multifaceted kind of approach to, you know, like my support and, uh, 
you know, and, and at first I was really frustrated by needing to see all the doctors and all the testing that was, you know, being done. And I was like, it felt like overkill. And then at, at the same time, it's like, no, they're really trying to be thorough because, you know, there, there's just ways that just, you know, that and just trying to stay on top of things, I think is what, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to say, but, but I know that, um, yeah, the disparities are, are, are there because you just, you know, a lot of times there, there are mixed diagnoses that are happening because mm-hmm. the, you know, when people, you know, we, we come to send, you know, come to the doctor's office and our symptoms, we don't talk about our symptoms in the same way. So they might get missed too. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think a lot of factors kind of going into, into that. And so, <clears throat> and I think representation matters. And, I think that's why I, I talk a lot about that on my platform and, you know, and trying to raise that awareness so that, you know, and, and I'm also doing some work behind the scenes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm part of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine's mental health professionals group. And, um, oh, and so, part of the, so part of the work that I'm doing is, you know, trying to create and hold space for other clinicians who are working, you know, with, with people of color so that, you know, there's, there's space for, for others to learn how to do the work too, mm-hmm. and because, you know, it's needed. It's definitely needed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today, guys. I hope you enjoyed Lori's story. Definitely check her out on Instagram at Dr. Lori, L-O-R-E-E Johnson. And she is super, she has great posts and she's super motivated to help women everywhere and men. So definitely reach out to her if you need anything or want to talk to her further. I also want to encourage you guys to check out Fertility Rally if you're looking for community and a sisterhood that gets it. We are growing every month. It's been the most fun I've ever had working on something. I mean, it's fun and it's hard and it's all the things, but I'm so passionate about it. Blair and I have created this incredible community and we would love for you guys to come and check it out. We are actually starting another support group too, that if you become a member, you have access to. So we have three support groups a week now. We have two private Facebook groups. We've got tons of content, events, IRL events. We're starting to plan Fertility Rally Live for April, our fourth one. So come and see what we're talking about. We'd love to have you no matter what you're going through. All right. Check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally or our website, which is fertilityrally.com. And I will talk to you guys next time.